0: Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Schultz, the Seattle Seahawks. They're going to be in Indianapolis this week. Obviously, John Schneider, Pete Carroll going to the combine. We've got draft talk coming up. And because we are talking draft, we are talking to EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. He's at the Draftsman FB on Twitter. And also you can find him on Windy City Gridiron, the SB Nation show Bears over beers. EJ, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's the most wonderful time of the year or just maybe the busiest. It, it is for you. I know that this is this is a very busy time for you, and so I'm glad you could make time for it. But as, as much as I want to talk combine, I, I want to talk a little bit of Sean Desai because, you know, this was a big move that the Seahawks made. They, they are shaking up their defense. Clint Hurt gets promoted from defensive line coach. He coached for the Bears before coming to Seattle. And now they bring another Bears coach in Sean Desai. He was the defensive coordinator last year, and now he is the associate head coach and defensive assistant uh, for the Seahawks. So I I don't know how they're making the titles work, but everybody's working together anyway on defense. I'm sure this will be fine.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry so much about the titles. In fact, I wouldn't worry much at all. This is really exciting stuff, or it should be for Seahawks fans. Uh, They may not be familiar with Sean Desai. He was a first-year defensive coordinator last year for Chicago, but he'd been with Chicago for about six years, which means he's lasted through three coaching hires. Mm. And that's really rare in the NFL for a coach to survive three coaching transitions, three different regimes. And by all accounts, Sean Desai did it because he is a brilliant dude. He is really, really smart and was well-regarded Um, One of the reasons he got carried over twice in Chicago after being hired initially started again as an assistant quality control assistant focused on defense ended up being the secondary coach and then last year um, being promoted to the defensive coordinator for the first time and did a yeoman's job with a defense that was really pieced together and you might look at some of the pieces that Chicago had on defense and say oh that's not pieced together they had one guy at cornerback, Jalen Johnson at cornerback. And, and after that, they were starting guys like Kendall Vilder outside. who was a fifth-round pick out of Southern. Um, not an ideal situation. Eddie Jackson's there, but beside him was Tayshawn Gibson, who's been playing pretty average. Roquan's great. They picked up Alec Ogletree off the scrap heap in camp, and he was the second starting inside linebacker. Khalil Mack was out for almost the entire year. Um, Keem Hicks missed significant time. Obviously, Robert Quinn had a huge bounce back year. But here's a first-year defensive coordinator with basically no secondary in the passing NFL that puts out a passable defense on a weekly basis with one pass rusher. That's like, that's a lot of smoke and mirrors. He did a he did an incredible job um, holding that together for most of the year. Great relatable guy loves players uh hear from a lot of players that he's uh, not players coach but that he understands them understands what they can do puts them in good situations and pairing him with clint hurt who was a favorite of mine when he was on the bears um as a coach i I love this combination for the hawks i'm excited for what seahawks fans are going to get to see on defense uh you and i have talked in the past i'm not a huge ken norton jr guy I think he's a good coach i don't think he's necessarily a great coordinator and he always seemed slow to adapt um throughout the season and throughout games um that's not a great quality to have so i i felt like it was time for the hawks to make a new move and the fact that this is the move they chose to make promoting Hurt to dc and bringing in Sean desai to basically be a second dc um to give clint some some help in his first stint running the entire show. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm just excited from kind of fly on the wall position to see what the Hawks do because they, I think, have a lot more defensive talent than they've shown. It'll be really interesting to see what they add. And I I believe they're going to run an aggressive defense. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I guess the question I have, though, is if you're going to get these guys, because Clint Hurt was uh, came up under Vic Fangio, mm-hmm. uh, same with Desai. So if you're going to get all these pieces from you know disciples of Vic Fangio, but Vic Fangio just got fired and he's out there and available. Why not just go get that guy? You
1: you totally could. There's been a lot of speculation about that of like, Hey, and there was some talk about whether Fangio wanted to be a head coach again uh, because he waited a long time. He was a coordinator for a long time, went through a lot of interviews, didn't get it. He finally got the brass ring and there was some question about whether or not he wanted to step back to being a defensive coordinator. Now, I think that's his best role because we know Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator is lights out. His defenses are top 10. They're, um, they produce tremendous results against great offenses. Great offenses come in, play a Fangio defense, go, oh, we had a down week, and then rebound the next week. How strange very proven defensive coordinator, but as a head guy, never really inspiring. In fact, when he got hired in Denver, I thought, well, this will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if he makes the jump to sort of that CEO role. Never really felt like he did that with Denver. felt like he was like, I'm going to run a really good defense and you better get the offense to keep up. Not a great, not a great line to hold as a head coach, but there was some question about whether or not, again, he, his heart was in being a defensive coordinator. Again, if he was, he's the obvious choice. It's, it's the master, right? But if you can't get that, Desai's really interesting because he had experience under Fangio, but he also had experience under other folks that came through. So he's not a, people say Fangio, he's not a one system guy. And he showed that last year. His, his defense didn't look a ton like Vicks. Did it have principles in it from Vicks? Yeah, absolutely. Did he mix in other principles that he learned along the way and and was smart enough to pick up? Uh, from around the league when he saw him working, especially when his personnel went down and he had to adjust, he was. And that's the thing that makes me really excited is he's not just going to come in and say, hey, I and Clint run this defense, so we got to get a bunch of guys that we don't have. We got to jettison a bunch of guys we have that don't work. It's, hey, what do we have? What can you do? And how can I meld that into a system uh, that, yeah, uses some of these concepts, but also some of these concepts from over here? And he's shown the ability to do that. And that's for the most part a quality you really want in any great coach. Yeah. And I
0: feel like maybe I I'm hopeful at least that with Ken Norton Jr. leaving, maybe he was one of the guys that was in the the, the barrier to allowing someone like Clint Hurt because you know, anytime they hire from within and you're not getting, you know, the the statistical uh, outputs that you would kind of expect from because you, know, you got Pro Bowl dudes on this team. That's yeah. you got Carlos Dunlap up front. You got Bobby Wagner, who's multi-time All Pro, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs. You know, so you you have guys at every level, and I feel like they should be performing better than I don't know the bottom ten of the league. And so I, it, it, it's hard for me to get super excited about promoting w- from within. And then you know you you talk about Desai and you say all these good things, but. You know, when I, I look at the statistical output of the Bears defense last year, now you you brought up some of the issues, but mm-hmm. the statistical outputs like he doesn't even beat the, the Ken Norton Jr. bar of outputs. And and so, you know, for people who look at just like that, people like me, it doesn't get you super excited. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right.
1: There's going to be some people that are going to stat scout this and be underwhelmed and go, what the heck? He didn't you know, he had one year as a D.C. He wasn't. Sterling like his team wasn't absolute shutdown Um, certainly first half of the year was a little bit better when Khalil Mack was in there surprise surprise Um, but you lose a guy like Khalil Mack and that's what I would say to Seahawks fans is as good as you think your defense maybe was last year or as bad whatever take the top two or three best players. And just remove them from the equation. So, say Bobby Wagner got hurt in week two, right? And then say that Dunlap, who was the biggest rush threat outside of Jamal Adams, uh, you know, didn't play either. And, you know, Adams was sporadic because that's what they had with Keem Hicks. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you get to keep one corner. Whichever corner you like, you get to keep him. And then we're going to take all your other corners. And then we're going to see how you do in the NFC West against the Rams, and, you know, the 49ers. We're just going to watch, right? And then people will be like, you can't play defense like that. That's what he was dealing with, and he still managed to put together a unit that certainly for the first half of the season was competitive and kept the Bears in games when they had no offense, which is a very traditional Chicago malady. Um, The fact that he was able to, again, patch something together that held up week after week is pretty amazing.
0: Well, I am I'm hopeful, like I said, and I'm, I'm at least I'm, I'm grateful, at least to have that perspective of a Bears fan. And so we're going to see how that's going to look for the Seahawks in this upcoming year. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the NFL Combine going to be happening this week and this weekend. So we'll hit that after the break. EJ Snyder at the Draftsman FB joining me on the show. Be sure and check out bootleg football with Brett Coleman. You guys, you guys hit your one-year anniversary, right? This just two. this week. Two years. What two? How have you been doing this it's, for two years, EJ? Time flies. It doesn't seem possible
1: that it's the second year. And we just recorded a show last week, and I was I, I'm at the point now where I can go back to last year's agendas and and just update them. And I was going to last year's and I was like, that was the second one because it was a show we did right after we started. So I was like, this is the third one. Um, time flies when you're having fun doing cool stuff with your friends, for sure. Um, doesn't really seem possible, that it's been two years. But, yeah, but here we are. I know.
0: I, I, was, I, I knew that it, it was an anniversary, but gosh, <laughs> here we are. Okay. Two years. Well, the Combine is coming up this week. And, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, it's a busy time of year for you. I, I'm curious though with these drills, and and you've been doing this for a while, because uh, even even before uh, obviously bootleg football started. But I, w- I want to know what position group do you get the most out of when you watch combine drills? Because I know some people you know they say, okay, 40 yard dash, yeah, run real fast in a straight line. How often are you going to do that unless you're mm-hmm. a wide receiver just trying to burn by a dude? But there have to be like certain positions that I know that you you get a lot out of, or else I mean, why would they even do them?
1: Well, there is that question. And you hear that from agents a lot. Um, This year, it's the bench press. Uh, They were trying to eliminate bench press because bench press is not really a quote unquote football move. Um, Not something. It's just a standard that people have used to test strength, but it's not really functional strength that you use on the field. And there are other ways that you could test that. Um, But that would be a big change. So mostly they do it for apples to apples comparison to be able to go back 10 20 years and say hey what did this player do versus what players did 20 years ago at their position. And in terms of the drills that are most useful it's really dependent on position. There are position specific drills where you really care. Um and Ones where you don't care, like you said, uh, if you have, I don't a center, need to know how
0: much my kicker can bench press. That's <laughs>
1: that's right, kickers and bench pressing. Um, but occasionally, punter comes along and throws up twenty reps, and you're like, well, he might make a tackle. Uh, but in terms of like your center, you don't need to know how fast your center runs a forty yard dash because your center's most likely never ever going to run forty yards. Um, but there are drills for certain positions that you really do care about because there are minimum thresholds. Um, and I think a lot about the explosion drills for more athletic positions, specifically like edge, like every successful edge has hit minimum thresholds of athleticism and the ones that haven't, there aren't any examples of like, well, this guy was really slow and didn't turn well. And he's still a great edge. There just aren't. Yeah. So if a guy doesn't hit those, they're like eliminators. It's it's not that you completely don't consider him. Maybe he slipped. Maybe he had a pulled hamstring, whatever. But if everything's above board and a guy doesn't hit that threshold at that position, it is a devaluing factor. You have to consider, hey, nobody in history has run less than a blank three cone and ever gotten more than eight sacks. And I'll say the A word, that's analytics, right? (laughs) That's taking data and applying it to performance and saying there's a correlation here and it's strong or it's not strong. And in certain positions, certain drills, the correlation is really strong to a few drills. So you have to know what those are and then watch them. Um, In terms of the drills drills, not just the testing, um, I get a lot out of what they call the W drill for defensive backs, which is where a defensive back will backpedal which is of limited use too because they've changed it up a little bit. Guys, guys don't do straight back pedal anymore for the most part. So they're like, why are we still doing this? But for me, it's a great drill to see hip flexibility and how their feet work because they go back and basically a coach will point um, at the point where at their top of their back pedal and they'll either break right or left at a 90 or they'll break right or left coming back towards what would be the quarterback at about a 30 degree angle. And so they have to react to a dynamic thing, which is a football move. They're going to have to do that. Um, and you just get to see how quickly guys can adjust how fluid that looks. And every year there's a few guys that, uh, maybe I haven't watched yet. Maybe you're from a smaller school or I just haven't gotten to yet because of time. And I just put a mark next to him. Cause I'm like, that guy knows how to move. And in that position, you really know how to, you have to know how to move. Um, in that particular circumstance. And there are guys like Jordan Fuller, who ended up wearing the green dot for the world champion Rams. He was a safety out of Ohio, wasn't super well regarded. Uh, you know, he was in his own program, but from the draft community, he was probably a fifth rounder, but he was a team captain and he moved really fluidly, didn't run super fast, but again, he was above the minimums. Mm-hmm. He was functional and I was impressed with how he moved and how he was just composed and balanced in that drill. And I just sort of put a check next to his name. Another guy was a guy named Legarius Sneed, who ended up being a low-round choice of the Kansas City Chiefs and came in and played extremely well as a rookie. And everybody's like, where did this guy come from? He was another guy at the combine that I marked off and went, he's got good size. I got to go back to his tape. He's moving really well at that size. So that's a drill for me that I get a lot out of. Um, I like the gauntlet drill for wide receivers. I don't I don't think it really tells you a whole lot of things, but it is dynamic, and they're making a football move over and over again. The gauntlet drill is uh, two rows of passers, basically about 10 yards off a of center line. Um, wide receiver stands in one place. First guy throws a ball at him. He pivots 180. Second guy throws a ball at him. And then he runs right down the line, and he takes alternating passes from the right and the left. So he has to turn, catch a ball, drop it, turn, catch a ball, drop it it's not you know overly correlated to what's going to happen on an NFL football field but you do see again fluidity you see the eyes you see the hand eye coordination um all things he's going to need again if somebody does average in that drill doesn't really tell you anything somebody drops 5 of 7 balls <laughs> like okay, I'm going to go back at his tape and look, did he ever have contested catches? You know, um, was he always wide, wide open and basket caught the ball? Again, not something you're going to do in the NFL. So it's more position specific and it's pick and choose stuff like the forties. It's a popcorn drill, right? People bet on it. It's fun to watch. Does it really correlate to most positions in football? Not really. You don't get to run with no pads, track spikes, and nobody pushing on you in football. So.
0: The other thing I like about the gauntlet drill, though, and you don't get this very often because, you know, these are professional players, but sometimes they look the wrong direction when the ball is coming. And uh, and so <laughs> it, it's kind of like watching NASCAR races for the crash. You know, it's you yeah, waiting it's right. for the football to go down to- and turn
1: left unless you're that other guy that goes down and turns right. Um, and it is funny because they get more than one one run through it. So occasionally you do see a guy get flustered or drop a couple balls or get hit in the back of the head or, you know, sort of not take off when he's supposed to start running something. And like everybody's watching and they know everybody's watching. It's a high pressure environment. The stands are full of GMs. They're they're televised workouts. Now they know everybody's looking. And so I like to look at the next run from that guy, Hmm. right? Okay, so he absolutely pantsed himself on the first run. Is he going to come back and do yeah. it smoothly? Is he going to compose himself, or is he going to let it get in his head and you know maybe muff a few more balls that he normally would have caught? It's just little things like that. Nothing's; those aren't eliminator type drills, um, but they're interesting,
0: and you could pick up little things about how guys react and how they maybe
1: deal with pressure.
0: So if someone is watching the Combine for the first time, what what do you recommend to them as kind of like the easiest ones to get into from a fan perspective?
1: You know, um, getting a feel, just watching them in general, because the cool thing about Combine drills is they usually show multiple guys in a row, like a group going through a particular drill and whether that's uh, like a broad jump, which really tests explosion and that's useful for Everybody that has to accelerate quickly, running backs, wide receivers also useful for guys like linemen, offensive, and defensive linemen, edge players, things like vertical jump. You know, obviously that has a direct play in, in wide receivers and defensive backs, but it's also a, a measure of, you know, how much. How quickly you can accelerate mass, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a thing for offensive linemen. So their numbers might not be staggering because these guys are 300 plus pounds. So they might be jumping in the high 20s or maybe the low 30s, but just getting an idea for, oh, an average for an offensive lineman, because I've watched 10 of them do it, is about, you know, high 20s, low 30s. And then somebody comes along and jumps 36 at 315. And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Look at this guy. That guy's a good athlete. Um, But you just kind of have to watch Uh, multiple guys do it and then get a sense for, oh, that's a good mark or that's not a good mark. And you can look that stuff up, but just watching it, you know, 10 guys in a row run the 40, 10 guys in a row do a broad jump, 10 guys in a row do the bench. You get a pretty good idea of like, cause you might start off not knowing how many reps of 225 pounds is good on the bench. And then some tiny little running back who's, you know, 5'9", 195 comes out and does 30 reps on the bench. And you're like, there are a bunch of linemen that didn't do 30 reps. Like right. that's amazing. Um, so it's more about getting consistency and sort of seeing what's mm, regular or average for a position. And then you're going to be able to sort of spot those outliers good or bad and go, Ooh, that's uh that's a lot lower than everybody else. Or wow, that was a lot faster than everybody
0: else. There's always the things that I look for. I think of running back drills in particular where, you're able to get some of those intangible type things of just the way guys move, and you can you can tell which guys have you know more of a, a head fake ability to them. Mm-hmm. Just have a little bit. I, I don't know. Wiggle uh, is a yeah. is a word that people throw out there, but you can you can kind of get a sense for some of those things too. And yeah, they aren't going up against anyone, but you can definitely see which guys just have a little bit more of those those movement abilities too.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a great point. And it makes me think of another one, which is um, guys that in a system in college weren't asked to do something, and you wonder if they can do it. And I think back to George Kittle, who Seahawks fans are very familiar with. George
0: Kittle. Yeah, we don't talk, we don't talk about him.
1: Uh, I know. Largely a blocking tight end um, in college. Came to the combine, blew away the athletic measures, was was far and above the average tight end. Tested out in the top you know, there's a, there's a thing called relative athletic score and it's on a 10 point scale. He was like a nine, nine, two, he's in the top, you know, 15 or 20 tight ends out of the last 1300 that are in the database. Like he was ridiculously athletic, but he had something like 11 receptions in college total. So people were like, look, you're a great athlete. We know you're a great blocker. Can you let's catch a take football? a look? at the catching drills, and he looked very natural in the catching drills, and that was kind of it. Everybody was like, well, he didn't catch a lot, but it doesn't mean he can't catch. And it's the same thing for running backs, especially in run-heavy systems in college. Maybe they only got thrown five balls a year, and they only were in school three years. They've had a total of like 15 pass attempts in game action. That's not really enough to know. They might catch 15 passes in one drill, and you can see how natural is he turning Hand eye coordination is his top and his bottom coordinated, right? Does it all look of a piece? And then you kind of go, Hey, he didn't get asked to catch a lot, but he can obviously catch the football. I'm not so worried about it, right? So it's a good, like, Hey, they didn't get asked to do that. It you know, just from a functional perspective, it looks like they can do that.
0: You know, when you bring up Kittle, too, it makes me think of it, it kind of makes me wish there was some kind of drill to where you could see cuz one of the amazing things about Kittle is that he can get hit and then get hit again and he manages to stay on his feet and maintain balance like throughout multiple hits and mm-hmm. and continuing to get you know yards after that kind of contact I, I wish there was a way to measure that, and maybe I just want more more guys getting hit uh, during the combine.
1: <laughs> that would be an addition. We call that contact balance in scouting. It's a it's a really common term for running backs because those guys that can go into uh, a crowded you know line trench area, get hit multiple times by guys that weigh three hundred pounds and come out with balance and maintain power and speed. It, that's a real skill, and it is very difficult to measure, but when you see it on tape it's something you mark down this guy has great contact balance he took a full-on shot bounced off three yards sideways landed on a foot cut and took off like those are really desirable skills in certain positions and you mentioned Kittle there are other guys um man, is Marshawn another Lynch. one of those
0: guys Obviously, Marshawn Marshawn, Lynch was, yeah.
1: I swear to God his core was built out of iron he would get hit by guys much larger you know more massive human beings. And he wouldn't move. It, it <laughs> right. was almost unnatural, um, but he just had that about, and he had that ability at cow too. Like it, you can see it on tape. So uh, tough to replicate in a drill environment, but absolutely an important skill.
0: Well, it is also mock draft season, EJ. Tis the and, season, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> the, the worst part of this time of year, though, especially for Seahawks fans, is that, you know, it, it's early enough on that we're really just getting the first round of the mock drafts. And so if the Seahawks are even in it, EJ, it's because they're trading Russell Wilson, which is kind of a ridiculous thing to consider anyway. But uh, let's just take, for example, Josh Edwards, CBS Sports, his recent mock draft. First quarterback coming off the board in the Denver Broncos position. But it's not to the Denver Broncos. It's to the Seattle Seahawks. No. And uh, his write-up says Seattle begrudgingly trades Russell Wilson and wants him to get out of the NFC and return. The Seahawks get a treasure trove of picks, including the number nine overall selection, which uh-huh. was used on. You want to take a guess?
1: If I had to guess, I would say Malik Willis. Um, but
0: that Malik Willis isn't going to win this year. So, Kenny know. Pickett, the first overall quarterback uh. taken. Yeah, no. Uh he says, I do not have a first round grade on the former Pitt Panther, but it feels uh-huh. likely he will be taken inside the first round. So here's my here's my problem with this, EJ. Uh-huh. Not only does Josh Edwards think that the Seahawks are silly enough to trade Russell Wilson, yeah, but also they're gonna take his third quarterback off the board as the first quarterback off the board <laughs> with uh-huh. Kenny Pickett. I wouldn't
1: be wild about it, uh, in multiple ways. Like if If Russell Wilson has to go, and I'm not saying that's the case, but if that comes to pass, if, if he goes somewhere, the, the part that Josh got right about that is they will get a treasure trove of picks, um, quarterback supply and demand. There's, there's never enough. Wilson is more than a proven commodity with still plenty of gas in the tank to help a team win. Uh, if he goes to a situation where they have some talent, which I He won't not do that because he has a no trade clause. So he's going to go somewhere and he could get results immediately still and for several more years. So it's worth that to an organization and they're going to have to pay that. Right. So he got the part right about the Seahawks getting a bunch of picks. Um, He didn't get the pick apart, right? Like I like Kenny Pickett and he would be a fine bridge quarterback, in my opinion, or low level starter. I would say somewhere in the 20s with the expectation that he is going to maintain, think, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo levels is, is, you know, that a little bit better, but that that's about where he is. He's not going to be the superhuman um, Josh Allen. He's not going to be the very cerebral and plus athletic Joe Burrow. Like he, this is not a guy that is going to make a difference by himself. If he comes into a loaded situation, which I would not call the Seahawks loaded, right now on offense he's a guy that could move you forward pretty quickly he's very experienced he has a good enough arm um he's gonna be a mid-level starter do you take that guy at nine with your preeminent pick to follow a you know pretty much surefire hall of famer i don't i don't think you do
0: yeah well and my thinking is is that if uh, if that quarterback were available in this draft I don't know, maybe the Lions would have taken him off the board already by the time number 9 rolls around. Oh, for sure. And that's the trouble with 9 if
1: if 9 was to be the pick and that's the Broncos pick and it, and it goes up and down. Um, you know, really nowhere in this particular draft are the Hawks going to find a guy that is going to be at or near Russell Wilson's level in the next year and a half. Like he just doesn't exist. That quarterback is is not in this draft. I, maybe the best shot at that happening within that time frame is, is Desmond Ritter mm-hmm. out of Cincinnati. Very athletic quarterback, good arm, has a has a bit of a ways to go, but not as far uh, as a guy like Malik Willis, who has greater tools, has the best tools in the class, but is also less developed than most of the rest of them. So has farther to go. It's It's sort of the sliders are more extreme, like, Amazing skills and a long way to go as a pro passer. So you need more time for a guy like that. Ritter's a little bit closer, might get there. If he gets there again, quarterback in general is a crapshoot, but it would it's gonna take a while. Like it's not gonna happen this year. Rookie quarterbacks, even if they are great, think uh Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert broke a bunch of rookie quarterback records. The Chargers didn't do great his rookie year. Like that, that's the best in a lot of ways best recent rookie quarterback season in a long time uh still wasn't great. So you kind of got to get that year out of the way anyways and there's not anything better than that in this draft. There's not a Trevor, there's not a Joe Burrow, there's not an Andrew Luck that's just like ready to go and and even Andrew Luck's, you know, rookie year, Peyton Manning's rookie year, they're oh, yeah. all they all had
0: rough rookie years so. Well, the other guy that I've seen was uh Philadelphia giving up a couple first round picks and then the Seahawks taking Matt Corral.
1: Matt Corral I would be more excited oh, about. It. He would be ready, yeah, he would be ready quicker. He's a guy that I've I've been on the Matt Corral bandwagon. Um, he's so tiny though. Years.
0: I I, and, I mean He's not tiny. He's, he's slight. <laughs> I feel like he's like Tyler Murray he's, slight.
1: He's not like he's getting that a lot and I I don't think it's fitting. The maybe it's that, just the pictures
0: that I'm looking at. Because when I look yeah, at him and I, mean, I, I see these little scrawny arms, maybe I'm used to Russell Wilson's huge uh, right. Russell Wilson
1: <laughs> is very compactly built and always has been. And it's been a great strength of his um, in terms of that strength, that ability to, you know, shake pass rushers, uh, have a really good, solid leg drive base for throwing the ball. Um, his arm strength increased after he hit the league. Like Russell is a very as an athletic specimen, he is—he's a high-level yeah. athlete. So maybe and he's really just needed
0: ad- adjusting to yeah. what real quarterbacks. But Corral.
1: Look like. The thing that's so
0: funny to me about Matt Corral
1: is like he's not—he's over six foot. Yeah, barely. He's between six foot and six one, and he's over two hundred pounds. And while that's not Josh Allen at six, four, six, five, 240 pounds, like he's not Kyler short. No, and Kyler is also a compactly built athlete, solidly built guy, but like he weighs as much or more than kyler and he's taller so you know everybody's on him but i'm like there's a guy from last year that is real similarly sized physically that everybody was super hot on
0: let's see who what, zach. in the first round zach wilson zach
1: oh like zach is not huh. a big dude
0: yeah like I suppose. And he's super athletic and
1: Matt Corral is really athletic. He's a great runner. He's got a good arm. His arm's not as good as Zach's, but it's very good. He can make all the throws and all these people that were slobbering over Zach in the first round last year. And they look at Matt Corral and they're like, nah. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> like they're, they're very similarly sized guys. And you look at one and you go, yeah, I want that in the first round way up high. And I look at Matt Corral. No, I don't want that I think Zach
0: Wilson always wore long sleeves though. That's maybe that's the difference. That's
1: (laughs) it. (laughs) You gotta be, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be Matt Corral's marketing agent. Put some
0: sleeves on, (laughs) put some sleeves on,
1: put some padded (laughs) sleeves on. You need to look bigger. No, I like Matt Corral. He is more pro ready than I think a lot of passers and he's being underrated Um, would I take him at nine? You know, if that was the pick, uh, it seems high, but we know with quarterbacks, they always go higher than people say they should again because of supply and demand, but I like Matt Corral out and I think he could be good more quickly than many quarterbacks in this class. He's got a lot of experience throwing the ball. Um, it's got good velocity, very athletic can, can make any scramble throw you want also plays very well from structure in the pocket. Um, there's some consistency issues but in terms of being accurate and being able to throw pretty much every pro ball he's right there and people are sleeping on him he's he's one of my you can tell he's one of the quarterbacks i like a little bit better in this class which is a down class for quarterbacks but everybody else it's like either you're sort of like the Kenny Pickett level where you're already at your ceiling you know you're pretty much polished you're going to improve a little bit but like what you see is what you get or you're betting on guys like Willis and Ritter who have great physical skills but have a long way to go um, you know Willis longer than Ritter and to me Matt Corral's kind of a happy medium that has a plus arm who you could you know I could see him becoming like Derek Carr light okay yeah and I, I that's could... that's not bad out of no, a draft no, that's it's fine it's just not somebody I'd there. want
0: to give up Russell Wilson for but you know no, if it had no. to happen and I... that's you know, we're already like, spending way too much time diagnosing these quarterbacks, EJ, for yeah. something that's not going to happen for Seattle.
1: But. No, yeah, no. Hawks fans are going to have trouble. And rightfully so. You're you, The best quarterback by far in franchise history. If he moves on for any reason, it's going to be a loss. Like, you're going to get your 12 stages of grief.
0: <laughs> I, I found out that it's only five. There's only five stages of grief. <laughs> i because think I'm, I'm going through this with the rams winning a super bowl i and i went and i looked it up and it's five. you looked it up and it's five well i think if anybody could
1: stretch grief into an extra seven stages it would be seahawks Twitter.
0: And, and it would yeah there's loops involved it's yes. yeah, it's it's yes. emotional it's a roller coaster <laughs> he's ej snyder of bootleg football with brett coleman ej what do you got coming up this week
1: Uh, so starting off draft content, pretty hard and heavy. We already went down to and bowl coverage, but, uh, the show I was saying is the third iteration is our 10 gems series on defense, uh, 10 gems for defense drops. Oh, I think Monday, uh, it's going to have some enhancements this year. We're putting some film clips in, uh, so people can see what we're talking about, which is really cool. Next week, we'll probably have 10 gems on offense coming out. And after that, it'll be, uh, Live stream, we're going to throw some stuff up on the bootleg football clips channel, which is new, which is going to have shorter content, we're going to kind of have quick hitters about this player or this player, um, sort of head to head stuff, Um, all kinds of good stuff, more interviews from the Shrine Bowl are going to drop uh, all season long, because I think we have something like 16 hours of interview footage from the shrine bowl so we'll be cutting that up yeah we we got great access down there eric galco the director really made sure that um we got to talk to who we wanted to talk to and we ended up with honestly i think more than we can use um but we got some great stuff um players are going to be talking about and and you know we asked them hey how did you learn that or who do you look at in the pros? Or, you know, what kind of system do you want to fit in? And, and they were able to tell us face-to-face. And that's, for me, that was a, a first, that kind of level of access. So lots of cool stuff coming
0: up through draft season. Well, definitely check it out. Subscribe on YouTube. Bootleg Football. Check it out. And EJ, thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always a great
0: time. Always appreciate EJ coming on the show. Definitely going to check out some Combine this week and over the weekend. Also going to be checking out Frank T. Raines. He's got some draft primers up on fieldgoals.com. He's looking at defensive tackles. He's looking at offensive linemen. Those are up. Also, we got the first Seahawks mock draft of 2022 from Michael Stuffer Edwards. So be sure and check that out as well. Michael always doing the mock drafts, help you get an idea of what types of players the Seahawks could be looking for, where they could go in the different rounds. Michael always does a good job with that. So check that out up at fieldgoals.com. And stick around for later in the week. We are going to be doing a three-in, three-out, what-if episode as we look ahead toward free agency, what players we're going to keep, what players we're going to cut, and which players we're going to go after. So stay tuned for that. And until then, go Hawks.